Well, good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us. Happy Labor Day weekend for those here in the room and those joining us online. Uh, Joshua texted me about 10 minutes ago in the middle of the service and said we have an all-time high for our live stream right now. Don't know if that's still true. Uh, however, I still tip my cap to the people in the room because you were at church during a global pandemic on a three-day weekend. So tip my cap to you. Well, the closing chapters of the book of Judges record one of the darkest periods in biblical history. In chapters 17 and 18, there is an example of audacious, unashamed idolatry. In chapter 19, there is murder and injustice, with a priest, no less, at the center of it. And in chapters 20 and 21, we read of brutal civil war within God's chosen people, Israel. The last verse of Judges gives us a tragic summary of the situation. Judges 21 verse 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You could use many words to describe the Israelites during the time of the Judges. Wicked, lost, rebellious, hardened. Ungrateful, stubborn, just to name a few. But there's one word that you probably wouldn't use to describe Israel, and that word is this, faithful. But then you turn the page and you encounter a small and unassuming book called Ruth. Verse 1 tells us that the events in the book of Ruth occur in the days when the judges ruled. Which, as we just summarized, were not exactly Israel's finest hour. But out of this depraved and unfaithful time in Israel's history comes a wonderful story that doesn't exactly fit in its context. From the days when the judges ruled, days of sin, days of idolatry, murder, injustice, and civil war, Out of those days comes an unexpected and beloved story of faithfulness. So open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Feel free to follow along wherever you are. But before we do any reading, let's pray. Lord, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the book of Ruth. Thank you that... For many of us who have tried one-year Bible reading plans, we might get to the book of Judges sometime in early March, and by the time we get to the end of the book, we're about ready to pack it in, because there are so many sad, frustrating, horrible things that we read. But then right when things get really dark in Israel's history, we see this small light. And so, Lord, thank you for the book of Ruth. I pray that right now, in dark moments of our own lives, in dark moments of history, that we would look for the little lights that you send us. Whether it's a card from a friend who's praying for us, whether it's a brother or sister in Christ who helps us or serves us, whether it's Sunday morning. In this time of uncertainty and darkness, we still have Sunday morning. Lord, thank you for these small lights that remind us of who you are and what you're doing and how good you are even during dark times. 
Lord, thank you for those who are here this morning. Thank you for those who are joining us online. I pray that our worship would be honoring to you, that this time that we have together would be helpful and beneficial for us as we go out in the coming week and serve you. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus, the ultimate faithful redeemer that not just the book of Ruth points us to, but the entire Bible points our eyes to Jesus. Lord, thank you for Christ. Thank you for our Redeemer. We ask this all in his name. Amen. Well, starting in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Apathrites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Chilion died. So that the woman, Naomi, was left without her two sons and her husband. Maybe you've picked up a book before and you've read a book and you've seen so many characters that you cannot possibly keep everyone straight. You're having to get on Wikipedia. You're having to look to the back of the book to keep people straight. Who's this person? Who's this person? Who's married to who? Who's related to who? Well, let's make sure we avoid that. In the first few verses of Ruth. So first we have Elimelech, who's married to his wife, Naomi. And then they have their two sons in Bethlehem. But then when a famine arrives, they head to Moab in search of food. And it's worth noting that Elimelech likely sold the family's land before they moved. That will be an important detail later in the story. And while living in Moab, Elimelech and Naomi's two sons, Malan and Chilion, get married to two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Now, this would not have been a problem for the two sons, so long as their non-Israelite wives would have agreed to abandon their false Moabite gods and worship the one true God of Israel. And the story seems to imply that both women, Orpah and Ruth, did just that. But then over time, all three of the men of the story, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, and Malin and Chilion, Naomi's sons, all men die. That leaves the three women, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, with no husbands, And no sons. Now, being a widow in any time is extremely difficult, but it was even more so in the ancient world. That was true for Orpah and Ruth, the two younger women of the story. But it was especially true for Naomi, being much older. In the ancient world, widows, especially an old widow with no sons, may have been reduced to begging or worse just to survive. One commentator describes Naomi's situation this way. 
From wife to widow, from mother to childless, Naomi is stripped of all identity. The security of husband and children, which a male-dominated culture afforded to women, is hers no longer. Stranger in a foreign land, Naomi is a victim of death and of life. So Naomi advises Orpah and Ruth to go back to their families, find new husbands, start over while they still can. Naomi may not have any hope, but her younger daughters-in-law still do. But that's when we hear the book's namesake, Ruth, speak up for the first time. And she delivers some of the most moving and memorable words in the entire Old Testament. You may have heard them quoted at weddings. Ruth chapter 1 verse 16. But Ruth said to Naomi, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Orpah goes home. She starts over. And for what it's worth, the book does not seem to judge her or look down on her or demonize her for it. But Ruth refuses to leave her mother-in-law. They return to Bethlehem with no real plan in place. They really are living on a prayer. It is a great risk for Ruth to attach herself to Naomi. Ruth has an uncommon showing of faithfulness. The story continues in chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then Ruth fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. 
How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then Ruth said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So in their desperation, Ruth went out to collect food from fields that were not hers. Remember, Elimelech sold the family's land when they left for Moab. Maybe Ruth was banking on the fact that the Old Testament law instructed the people of Israel to care for widows, orphans, foreigners, especially when it came to food. Farmers were instructed to leave the edges of their fields unharvested. That way, those vulnerable people groups could scavenge what was left. And thankfully, by chance, of course, Ruth comes to the field of the righteous and generous Boaz. Boaz had heard of what Ruth had done. And Boaz accepts, welcomes, provides for, and protects Ruth. Now, when Ruth goes home to tell Naomi that she met Boaz, it's like Naomi has been given a new lease on life. Chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. It turns out, by mere coincidence, I'm sure, that Boaz is a distant relative. And Boaz holds the keys to redeeming the futures of both Naomi and Ruth. So Naomi, the clever, slightly desperate old woman that she is, tells Ruth exactly what to do next. Ruth is to go under the cover of night and lay next to Boaz. Now, some commentators and some preachers have tried to make this part of the story a little bit more, shall we say, steamy than it probably is. They've tried to make it a little more sensational, a little more titillating. But make no mistake, Ruth going and laying next to Boaz is certainly a romantic gesture. We see in chapter 3, verse 6, So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? You'd say the same thing. And she answered, I am Ruth. Your servant, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. With those words, Ruth is not just humbly requesting Boaz's compassion and care. Ruth is boldly challenging Boaz to step up to the plate and be the redeemer God calls him to be. And unsurprisingly, given what we read of Boaz in chapter 2, He does just that. Once again, Boaz proves himself to be righteous. Verse 10. And Boaz said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, 
You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. That tells us that Boaz was likely significantly older than Ruth. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So it turns out that there are some complications that Boaz will have to work out in order to redeem Naomi's land, in order to marry Ruth. Technically, there's another distant family member who would have had first dibs. But Boaz is a smart man. He calls a meeting with the local community leaders, including the other guy. And with some strategic speech, Boaz accomplishes his goal. He fulfills his promise to Ruth. Naomi receives back the land that her husband sold and is no longer homeless. Boaz and Ruth are married, so she's no longer on her own. In the short term, both women are redeemed. In the long term, Boaz and Ruth have a son together. And thus, in a way, Elimelech and Naomi's family line is redeemed as well. We read in chapter 4, verse 14, the women of Bethlehem say, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now, it's a touching and inspiring story, isn't it? It's certainly a welcome change of pace coming out of those horrific final chapters in the book of Judges. It's a story of suffering and loss, followed by redemption and blessing. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz all get a happy ending. You know, honestly, I'm a bit surprised that Disney has not taken this and run with it. Ruth could be a great princess. Boaz could be an ideal knight in shining armor. All you need is a talking animal sidekick. But this isn't meant to be just a warm and fuzzy love story. It isn't meant to be read as a fairy tale. There's much more to the book of Ruth than that. As we think about what we Christians today might take away from this Old Testament story, What this story might tell us about God, our world, and ourselves. We could go in multiple different directions. We could focus on the faith of Naomi. How even in her darkest moments of despair, when she felt that she had been abandoned by God, Naomi is still a woman of faith. After all, the fact that Naomi believes God is the one who did this to her, in and of itself, displays her faith in him. In that sense, she follows in the footsteps of other faithful sufferers in the Bible. Figures like Moses, or Job, or Jeremiah. Naomi was a woman of faith. Or we could focus on the faithfulness of Ruth. After all, the book is named after her. 
This unlikely heroine, a foreign woman, is a living, breathing display of God's faithfulness. In the days when the judges ruled, when unfaithfulness spread like wildfire, there was at least one faithful woman in Israel. And ironically, she wasn't even from Israel. Or we could focus on the righteousness of Boaz. Boaz puts the interests of others ahead of his own at personal cost and risk. He has compassion on those for whom God has compassion, widows and foreigners. And he righteously steps up to the challenge when given the opportunity to go the extra mile. Boaz becomes Naomi's redeemer and Ruth's redeemer and an entire family's redeemer. Now, those are all perfectly reasonable, perfectly appropriate takeaways from this story. But they shouldn't be the only ones. Because this story is just as much about God as it is about Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. We see God's provision at work in the finer details of this story. I mean, come on. Can we really believe that Ruth and Boaz's encounter in that field was mere chance or coincidence? Of course not. One commentator writes, The idea of Ruth's meeting with Boaz as chance is nothing more than the author's way of saying that no human intent was involved. For Ruth and Boaz, it was an accident, but not for God. The tenor of the whole story makes it clear that the narrator sees God's hand throughout. This is a story about God's provision. Provision for a suffering widow, a faithful foreigner, and a righteous Israelite. And we Christians today are part of this same story. Just a little bit further down the line. And God's hand is still writing it. God's hand already has written it. We also see that God accomplishes this provision through the actions of people. God calls people. People like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz to be tools in his hand. He uses people like you and people like me to accomplish his purposes in the world. Now, God doesn't need our help to do what he intends to do. He's God for God's sake. But he graciously invites us to participate in what he's doing. And he uses us to make it happen for his glory. Again, the same commentator says, not only Boaz's faithfulness and Naomi's risky plan, but also Ruth's accidental steps are part of the control God affects over his world, behind the scenes and in the shadows. As Zach mentioned just a few minutes ago, sometimes God doesn't work in the big, amazing miracles that pop up out of the sky. Sometimes he works through people like you and people like me. Small, seemingly uneventful and normal gestures are part of what God uses to accomplish his plans in the world. And then finally, we also learn something about God's far greater plan of redemption in this story. The one that goes far beyond the individual fates of 
Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. Looking at chapter 4, verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, referring to the baby of Ruth, Naomi's granddaughter, grandson, excuse me. A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Verse 22 emphasizes it again. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. It turns out that God's kindness to these three people isn't just about them. It's about his much bigger plan of redemption for sinners, stretching all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Ruth gives birth to Obed. From Obed we get Jesse. And from Jesse we get David. And from the line of David comes the true, eternal Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The Son of David. The Son of God. So this story would not be the last time that God would provide for his people using his people to accomplish his great plan of redemption. It wouldn't be the last time that an unlikely woman would display uncommon faithfulness at great personal cost. A young virgin named Mary would one day do the same. We read about her earlier in the service. And this wouldn't be the last time that a righteous man, in fact, the righteous man, far greater than Boaz, would redeem those who fell at his feet in humble desperation. This story points our eyes ahead to the greatest redeemer, Jesus Christ. The one who lived a sinless life, died for the sins of others, rose from the dead, and one day will return. From the days when the judges ruled, from a period marked by mankind's unfaithfulness, we get a story of God's faithfulness. From those days when there was no king in Israel, we see a preview of the true king, not only of Israel, but of all creation. From the days when everyone did what was right in his own eyes, God accomplishes his purposes through a suffering widow, a faithful foreigner, and a righteous man. From a small, unassuming book tucked away in the Old Testament. We don't just get a cute love story or a nice fairy tale. We get an example within his much greater plan of God's steadfast love, his loyalty, his generous action, his eternal grace, his everlasting fidelity, his unceasing kindness. And we get a preview of the one true Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for your word. The parts that we know well, the parts that we don't know very well at all. Thank you that as we read the Old Testament, as we read the New Testament, as we read small books and big books, familiar stories and unfamiliar stories, we're reading your story. We're reading the story that you've written about redeeming sinners through Jesus Christ. And right now we are participating in that story. We know what the end of the story is going to be. 
But at this moment, you call us. You invite us to participate in it. You call us to be your people when formerly left to ourselves, we are not your people. You call us out of sin and into righteousness. You call us out of unbelief into faith. You call us out of death into life the way you did Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. And Lord, you accomplish this for us by faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for our true eternal redeemer. Thank you for the one who spread his wings over us and redeemed us by spreading out his arms on the cross and dying for us. Thank you for Christ's broken body and shed blood. Thank you that you've given us your spirit. Thank you that you've given us your words that we can read about who you are and what you've done. And thank you for this church, the opportunity we've had to read your word this morning and worship you. I pray you were glorified today. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.